welcome to the 8th episode of Wallchat Talks. Today we're going to be talking about e-discovery. E-discovery is the process of collating, reviewing, electronically stored information. This process is often required to be done during an investigation, litigation or compliance process. And with the onset of the digital age, we have all experienced a flood of digital data in our lives, thereby making the volumes of data to review far more than previously required. However, worry not because today's e-discovery tools use AI and automation to make the process as seamless as possible. And today we have Michael Quadraro, an expert on e-discovery, to break down the subject for us. Hi Michael, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Hi Priya, thanks for having me. It's great to have you, Michael. I'm going to give the audience a little bit more context by providing a little bit of your background. So Michael has more than two decades of experience in legal tech and project management in the legal industry. He's worked at law firms and been a part-time graduate professor for the project management curriculum. And he even founded his own consulting firm in 2018 for legal tech and project management called EDPM Advisory Services. He's presently the president for the ACIDS, which is the Association of Certified E-Discovery Specialists, and has authored a book entitled Project Management in E-Discovery, an Introduction to Core Principles of Legal Project Management and Leadership in E-Discovery. And if I'm not mistaken, it's in its second edition. Am I right? Yes, the second edition just came out. Yeah, that, that's what I saw online. Uh, we're so happy to have you with us today, Michael, to get your insights on E-Discovery. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's get down to the basics. And I wanted to start with what does the process of e-discovery look like? And how exactly does technology help in this process? You know, you use the right word. I always have looked at e-discovery as a process, right? And there's, there's a model for it. You know, we're not just making this up out of thin air. We use the electronic discovery reference model in the various phases of um, an e-discovery project. We call it the e-discovery life cycle, if you will. Um, and it really just starts with understanding where information is. We call that information governance. And then you move from that into identifying, preserving, and collecting that information. And it's all needed in the course of litigation, investigations. We're now seeing it used in... Um, in cyber incidents, in privacy inquiries, obviously the government makes inquiries. Uh, and those processes, the, the idea of identifying, preserving, collecting, uh, and then reviewing and producing um, electronic information, those processes are, are really, they're part of any legal process, honestly. Uh, and they just fit into that discovery um, or, or disclosure um, aspect of litigation. Uh, and as, as I said, we, we're seeing it used more in other areas nowadays too, all kinds of inquiries around privacy, cyber, and um, internal investigations. Uh, so, I mean, that's e-discovery in a nutshell. In fact, now even the regulators, when they ask for documentation, they ask for it within the context of an e-discovery process. Am I right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, even even the government or, or regulators have have gotten on board. You know, it's it's been a it's been a long time. I was doing this. I was working in litigation back in the '90s before we really called it e-discovery. And back then, what we would do is, if anything was on a computer, we basically printed it and delivered it. Now, uh, the government has caught up, 
And uh, even regulators are now asking for electronically stored information in particular formats um, with particular metadata fields. Uh, it's it's become an entire industry of it in and of itself. And and honestly, a twenty billion dollar industry if you include software and services and all the things that um, are involved. Yeah, it's really come a long way. So, you know, there are so many e-discovery vendors and service providers in the market, it's actually quite confusing for a customer. So I was wondering if you could tell us as a customer, what are the things to think about when em em embarking on an e-discovery project? Yeah, so, I mean, I should be clear, I'm, no, I'm not really a customer anymore, but I was for 20 plus years. I spent most of my career working at law firms. And in that time, obviously, I got to use almost every software out there and interact with all the service providers and, and um, people who work in the industry. Um, how do you choose uh, a, a software vendor? Uh, it's really a question of, uh, well, when we're, if we're talking generally about vendors, uh, it's it's a question of there's a saying in the industry it's um, you're as good as your last project right so a lot of what happens I think is comfort with the people you're working with if you're at a law firm and you're working with a vendor if you're comfortable with that vendor are they responsive I mean, price is always a consideration because ultimately someone's got to pay for the services or the software but I I have always found that price is not the determinative factor. Um, and, you know, you can do things on the cheap, so to speak, and you get what you pay for, or you can pay a lot of money and get a lot more. Um, it, it's really a delicate balance. It's finding that balance uh, for whatever software or service you need and uh, building a relationship with your, with your vendors. Um, I, I like to look at them as partnerships. At least that's how I looked at it back in the day, because at the end of the day, they're providing software or a service to me as their client, and I've got responsibilities to my stakeholders, and ultimately there's usually a client paying for that. Uh, so it's, it's really a business relationship um, that is built on trust, built on the ability to deliver whatever the deliverables are, the outcomes, uh, and successful outcomes really dictate um, whether or not you call that vendor again. So I have a question around this because I you did mention that you know they're sometimes providing the software and sometimes they're also providing the service and often you'll have e-discovery service providers who use more than one software vendor so I'm just curious in a project who actually decides which software to use if you're comfortable with the provider and you've identified that this is going to be my e-discovery provider do you sort of dictate and tell them we would like XYZ software to be used or does it depend on the requirements of the project? It's really, a, I, I view it as a case-by-case -case decision. Um, you know, you can, you can buy really um, intense, robust, expensive software uh, that will uh, work for the, the, the matter that you're working on. Uh, not all matters require that. Uh, some, you know, I would say smaller firms, smaller corporations, maybe smaller cases or matters, uh, you, might, you might not need that robustness. So you can use um, a smaller application, a desktop type application, or, um, you know, something that's not known as, you know, a big um, IT infrastructure 
uh, implementation. Uh, so there's there's it's really a case by case decision that you make uh, depending upon what the particular needs of the case are. Understood. That makes sense. And as we briefly discussed earlier, uh, the industry ha has e-discovery tools as well as service providers. And like we were talking about, one company sometimes provides both. So what are the things, apart from comfort, because we talked about that, uh, what are the things you can think about when selecting an e-discovery service provider? Or would you say they're same as when selecting a vendor? I mean, the, the decisions are essentially the same. Uh, the, the reality is when it comes to software, most organizations, whether it's a corporate setting or a law firm setting or even a service provider setting, they make a decision about using a particular software. Usually you sign up um, for a period of time. So, you know, n not many law firms have the luxury or the resources to have five different pieces of software. Um, you know, or at least e-discovery platforms, there's probably five different pieces of software involved in any project. But at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to a question of resources. Uh, if you've signed on for a three or five year contract with a software provider, you're going to use that software um, no matter what case comes your way. Um, and as far as you get familiar with the software tool, you would want to continue using that tool. You don't want to reorient your entire um, e-discovery process by learning a new tool. Right. There's uh, obviously, as you allude to, there's a learning curve, right? You don't want to, and, and don't get me wrong, it happens. Sometimes uh, a law firm will have a particular software uh, and the client will say, no, let's use this. Um, and then you do encounter that learning curve. So that's one of the factors that you hopefully the, the lawyers, the client, the service provider all have a conversation about what is the best path forward for this particular matter. Got it. So a lot of the e-discovery service providers have offshore locations from which they provide their services, and this has several cost benefits. But I wanted to understand from a client's perspective, what are the things you want to ask your service provider to ensure uh, good project management on a transaction, especially since a large part of the transaction will be conducted by an offshore team that you may never meet? So like any good process, you want to go into an e-discovery project thinking about this is where we are and this is where we need to get. I like to say, what does done look like? And then you take as in any project, you take the work and break it down into its logical parts. Um, and, and in project management, we call that a, a work breakdown structure. And a, a WBS is used to understand not just the work or the scope of the work, but also helps you in budgeting, in scheduling. Um, you use that to formulate your project plan. If you're talking to an overseas provider, you really want them to be asking the right questions about that process, uh, helping you to break down the work, understanding each stage of the project, whether it's identification, preservation, collection, and are they using the kinds of process tools, even if it's just soft, uh, you know, a, a checklist of things that need to be done. In, in e-discovery, as a general matter, there's a handful of things that you need to get right at each stage of the process. And if you get that handful of things right at each stage, you're generally going to be successful in the end. 
Um, so what you're really looking for when you're working with someone that's overseas, someone you might never see, is are they asking the right questions? Um, are they um, uh, do they have a process? Are they talking to you about next steps? Are they planning? And then when you're executing, are they um, are they performing kind of scheduling checks? Are they performing quality checks? Um, is is the is the project on budget? Um, all those kind of things you use. That's why I believe project management is the solution to e-discovery projects. Because if you're doing it right, then you're doing all the things. You're following the process and doing all the checks and um, to, to ensure that things are getting done properly to, to ensure a successful outcome. And actually, you're right. It's critical because that's how you develop trust in the process. Because then you don't, it's not really trusting the team offshore, but it's trusting the process they use. So as long exactly. as you have comfort and you've built that comfort around that process, then you're sort of good to go irrespective of the location of the team. Yeah, and that's something you should do when you're thinking about engaging a vendor, whether it's a, a pure software provider or a professional services organization that has software you should be asking questions about, okay, what is your process for doing this? What is your process for doing that? And understanding how they are walking through that process is really going to help you to understand, okay, I have comfort now with what they're going to do. Let's get started. Yeah, makes sense. And what are some of the most common integrations that a client requires when embarking on an e-discovery project? I'm sure sometimes bases the project, they have a particular requirement in some instances for maybe redaction or something else, but I thought maybe you would have a better idea of what are the common integrations you typically see. I mean, in, in e-discovery, it's all about having those planning conversations, um, that information governance understanding, and that identification process. There's a, there's a few things you want to do there. You want to understand the client's, uh, the ultimate client's uh, data systems, where what data do they have? Um, for a particular matter, you're going to ask who are the key people, who are what we call custodians in that matter, uh, and then have the conversation around, okay, this person's data needs to be gotten from here or from there, and mobile phones are involved, or databases, or just a document management system. In terms of integrations with everything moving to the cloud, I mean, Data is, is a constantly evolving uh, process, understanding the data, the systems, the technologies. Uh, software industry is always growing and changing. Uh, we're doing things with data now that I think you know, 20 years ago we probably ne never imagined. Uh, so in terms of integrations, understanding the systems and then understanding what tools you need to get to those systems to get the data out and move it into your e-discovery workflow. So integrations could be anything today, uh, but for the most part, we're looking for user-created data that is relevant to the claims and defenses in a legal matter. Got it. And sometimes you were mentioning that now that a lot of data is in the cloud, but it, uh, if I understand correctly, there are some instances where you are required to conduct an e-discovery project not on the cloud, but just on the premises of the client. Yeah, it, I'm sure it still happens, uh, but the the reality is, if you've got a if you've got a smartphone, on some level that data is in the cloud, and yeah, you know I think three quarters of the world have a smartphone. So um, there's no and and as time marches on, we're we're going to be in the cloud. It's just where data is. Uh, 
but I, I mean, I suppose it still happens where things are compartmentalized, sensitive matters, maybe um, highly technical government investigations or um, uh, uh, matters that involve um, highly sensitive or proprietary information where people are, are just worried about things being in the cloud. So, so you may be doing things on premise. And I'm sure there are plenty of um, uh, law firms, corporations that are still doing things behind their own firewall. And that's perfectly acceptable, yeah. so long as you're following the process, as we've discussed. Correct. That's what it all comes back to, right? Process, process, process. It is. So I want to come back to the certification. Um, we earlier discussed how you're presently the, pres the president of the ACIDS. So why is it important to be certified? And once you're certified, how easy is it to move between different tools? So I think it's really important to just uh, pause and, and look at history a little bit. You know, the e-discovery the e process uh, in, in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s was a bit of the wild, wild west. You know, nobody really had standards and everybody was doing things different ways. And I mean, if you look at some of the pricing structures back then, it was kind of out of control. It just made sense that people eventually got together, industry people got together and said, hey, we need some standards. And then, you know, the EDRM launched in around 2005. And then four or five years later, some enterprising individuals started thinking about, hey, we should have even more rigid standards. You know, the, the federal rules in the U.S. had undergone change. Um, the, the industry was becoming more mature. So some folks got together. They, they wrote a, sort of a best practices manual uh, and then designed a certification around it. The, the purpose of that, the, the goal was to really uh, ingrain in people's minds that there's a process here. There are standards. There are certain things, like I said, you need to do at each stage of the process. And in order to professionalize that industry, it, the exam really um, certifies or verifies that you know what you're doing in each of these areas. That's really the purpose. I mean, other than the general educational purpose of our organization, uh, the certification validates that someone has the skills. When someone passes the ACEDS um, certification, the Certified E-Discovery Specialist exam, you can rest assured that that person knows what they're doing in the space. And it's a continuing certification, so it keeps up and rather it's continuously evolving. Yeah, obviously, um, the exam's undergone uh, revision uh, three times, most recently about a year ago, uh, actually, no, 2020, uh, and we're always updating it. You know, the, the rules are changing, the case law is changing, processes are changing, technologies, technologies are changing, um, and so we've got to keep up with that. So we're always introducing new material, always updating the material, uh, changing the exam to be relevant. Uh, it's it's really important that if you're going to have a certification in this space that you're constantly looking at revising and, and uh, modifying it to keep up with the times. Got it. So one last question uh, before we drop off for this episode. I wanted to check with you on something on your book. And I know I've read a little bit of your book and I know you also get into process, process, process. And a lot of it, you give a lot of the history behind e-discovery of how it started even before it was e-discovery, it was just discovery and what was the process that was fo uh, followed before. And there's a lot of thread of similarity between the two. 
But I was wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit uh, about how that has evolved. Of course, with the explosion of digital data, there's been a huge uh, difference in the approach. But I was wondering if you could just uh, elaborate a little bit for our audience. You know, there's a, and I'm, I'm sort of traditional. I, I think um, younger people in the space today may view it a little bit differently. Uh, but I, I used to talk with lawyers, obviously, all the time as we were trying to understand and learn this process and perfect it. Uh, but lawyers um, will, will say to you, it's, it's not e-discovery, it's just discovery. The only thing that's really changed is the types of things we're discovering and where they are, right? Uh, many years ago, it was just paper, right? And or whatever evidence you could gather, whether it was physical evidence or, um, but everything was very static. The the reason e-discoveries become so important is because if you think about those old days, like a piece of paper is a very static thing. Unless you spill some coffee on it or burn it or tear it up, that's a piece of physical evidence. Electronic data is very different. It's changing. It's malleable. It can be altered very easily, sometimes by accident. And so the reason e-discovery exists is because we have to preserve the information in a way that makes it um, uh, suitable for use in legal proceedings. And you can't just walk into court and, you know, flash around uh, electronic documents like you could with a piece of paper. Uh, you have to preserve that the metadata, you have to preserve it in a way that shows it wasn't altered. You have to show a chain of custody, um, lay a foundation for its its use, its admission and evidence. That's harder to do with something that's changing. You know, when you copy and paste a file, you're changing that file. Yeah. That's not the case years ago with a piece of paper. The piece of paper is the piece of paper. So eDiscovery exists to help um, preserve evidence that may be relevant to a legal matter. That's really why we exist. Um, and the specialists who do that work are really doing a service to the legal industry in general and to litigants, because you can't tell your story today without electronic evidence. There's just no way. All documents are created on computers, whether it's phones, actual computers, social media, the web, all that stuff is potentially relevant evidence. And you've got to have people who can go get that and preserve it in a proper way so it can be used in legal proceedings. That's why we exist. That's why we train and certify people. And that's why litigants are, are so interested in e-discovery. Thanks, Michael. I think you brought us full circle on the entire process with, the, with your answer to the last question. It's been really, really insightful talking to you. I think we've learned a lot of interesting things about the e-discovery process. Thanks so much for your time today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.